Picking up back in Ecclesiastes, and Solomon has been teaching about uh, the wisdom and foolishness in daily life. Remember, we live in what kind of a world? We live in a sin-cursed world, don't we? Here in chapter 9, verse 17 to chapter 10, verse 7, we'll look at the value of and threats to uh, Christ's wisdom. This is really kind of the first part of the section. It starts in chapter 9, verse 17, and goes to chapter uh, 10, verse 20. So this is kind of part one. Uh, but there's a bunch of Proverbs here. And so it's good to just take a moment and, okay, what's a proverb? You know, you can think of Proverbs uh, that are in our daily life. A, a stitch in time saves nine. And if you've never sewed before, that means absolutely nothing to you. Unless you just kind of think about it, okay? Do the stitching right, and then you won't have to take it all apart. And it just takes a long time to do that. A proverb, think of like a snapshot. I would say a Polaroid. But there's a lot of people here who have no idea what Polaroids are. Uh, you know what a, a video or a movie is. It, it gives you the whole, the whole uh, everything that's happening, all the stuff, all the, the, the character development, thing like that. But that's like a book of the Bible. And a proverb is, what? Snapshot. It gives you one little thing. It doesn't tell you everything about it, but it gives you a snapshot. A biblical proverb, then, it's a compact statement giving biblical wisdom. It takes truth from God's word. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is based on the, the Old Testament law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy especially. It takes that truth and helps us see how it applies in different situations. And that's what wisdom is, isn't it? the application, the skillful application of truth. So here in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, verse 17 to chapter 10, verse 7, this is part one of a contrast between wisdom and foolishness. I am not going to walk through uh, the text all in order. He has a theme that he's getting at, wisdom versus foolishness. But he kind of goes back and forth and back and forth. And Hebrews, they thought that way. And we don't necessarily think that way. I know there are some people that are scatterbrained and they're all over the place. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. I had a roommate like that in college. He was a trial. I loved him. But he was really hard. Mike and I would be talking about something and uh, Mike would say this and yeah, yeah. And, and then he'd keep going and then He'd just wander off, and I'd be like, hold on a minute. What does that have to do with this point? And Mike would say, no, I left that a long time ago. <laughs> Tell me you got off the exit, okay? <laughs> Solomon has a main point, wisdom and folly, but he kind of goes back and forth between the, 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 both the, the value and the threats. And so what I'm going to do here is not mishandle the text because we're going to look at what he says about the values. We're going to cover them all at once and then the threats and cover those in the second point. We see, first of all, that Christ's wisdom is extremely effective. Look at verse 17. The first way that Christ's wisdom is extremely effective. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout 
of a ruler of fools. Number one, what's the first way that Christ's wisdom is extremely effective? It's superior to power and volume. It is superior to power and volume. We see those two concepts here. The shout of a ruler of fools. The volume is in the shout. The power is the ruler. He uses his influence. And he will shout you down. If you say it loud enough, you'll get a point across. Have you ever heard a preacher like that? Lots of heat and little light. I don't mind a preacher who's lots of heat and lots of light. That's fine. But more often than not, there's lots of heat and little light. And then it's just kind of rah, rah, rah from that point on. There are two types of people. Proverb, or this proverb tells us. The first is the influential loudmouth. The influential loudmouth. He'll have an Instagram following in the millions. And then there's the humble saint with Christ's wisdom. I know many humble saints with Christ's wisdom who are on Facebook and Instagram and they share God's truth and their people who follow them, quote unquote, are not in the millions. Maybe the dozens or the hundreds. Those who are controlled by Christ's wisdom are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? It's love and joy, long-suffering, peace, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can see that here. You can see that here. The words of the wise spoken quietly. Those words should be heard. What about the, the loudmouth, the influential loudmouth? He's controlled by foolishness, and that's just a Bible way of describing a sin-controlled heart. They're living by, governed by their sin nature. And do you remember what the works of the sin nature, the works of the flesh are? Hatred, contention, jealousy, Outbursts of wrath, ambition, dissension, envy, and all kinds of other things like that. Those who are controlled by Christ's wisdom calmly, patiently teach to help others understand. And that kind of a, a Christian, that kind of a believer, this kind of a person, the wise who are controlled by the Spirit, who calmly and patiently teach truth so that others can understand, who are they depending on to help that person? They're not depending on themselves or their position or how they speak or their influence. Who are they depending on to use the truth to change hearts? They're depending on their sovereign God. But the person who's depending on themselves controlled by foolishness and sin, they depend on, on force and numbers and volume. 
But which one, sadly, in this life gets the most attention? The loudmouth. They get the most attention. That is never a guarantee of what is best and what is right. Lots of possible application here, huh? Just because everyone's saying it and just because they're really influential doesn't mean you should listen to what they say. For your own self, don't be a shouter. Now, it's a blessing to have little Thomas Brown with us today. (laughs) And he's not crawling yet. But what will little Thomas Brown do someday? He's going to start crawling. Hopefully, Thomas Brown will come visit us. No pressure. (laughs) In the near future, when he is crawling, no pressure. And he starts crawling out the door and crawling toward the road. Are we going to say, Oh, dear Thomas, kind little child, please don't go by the road. What do you think you're going to do in that circumstance and in that situation? You're all waiting for it, to, for, for me to wake you up, aren't we? But I'm not going to do it. We're all going to, you know, we're going to scream. That's expected and that's right. But if all Thomas hears from everyone all the time is yelling and screaming and hollering, he'll become deaf to it. And we're relying on ourselves. A second way that wisdom is extremely effective, the beginning of chapter 10, verse 2. He says, a wise man's heart is at his right hand. Number two, a second way that wisdom is extremely effective is it directs your heart and thus your lifestyle. It directs your heart and thus your lifestyle. And to get the idea of the lifestyle, continue following as I read down to end of verse 3. A wise man's heart, verse 2, is at his right hand. A fool's heart at his left. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom and he shows everyone that he's a fool. So there's the heart and the lifestyle, the way he walks that's being talked about here, the lifestyle. Um, you know, you read this, the right hand is the wise and the left hand and Automatically, we think politics, don't we? (laughs) The right side and the left side. And we think, well, that's just American culture. The fact is, is that most cultures, most cultures, they consider the, the right side to be the correct and the appropriate side. It's just a fact. They do. The wise person's heart is towards the right. In other words, the correct side. God's way of thinking. And that was also described, it's also used several times in the Psalms, as the place of protection. The Lord is at my, what? Right hand. For example, Psalm 16, 8. I shall not be moved. I am protected because he's at my right hand. It's talking about protection. And so when you're controlled by wisdom that directs your heart, what you think, what you love, how you live, the decisions that you make, And that guides you in the way of the Lord's protection. Protection from sin. From protection from bad decisions. Because you're going in his way. Taking God's truth. Wanting to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Living it out in your life. And 
that changes your heart and it helps you go in the right way. Read Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. How often does Solomon say there, seek wisdom? Why? He said wisdom directs you. It guides you. It protects you from sinful companions, from sexual immorality, from bad debt, from laziness, from stubbornness. Right in the middle of all that, Proverbs 4.23, Solomon says, guard your heart. Out of it flow the issues of life. A third way that wisdom is extremely effective then is in verse 4. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. The third way of wisdom's great effectiveness is that, number three, wisdom helps you persevere under pressure. Wisdom helps you persevere under pressure. Here we have a situation where an authority is ticked off. He's mad. Do you think he's being controlled by rational, Christ-like thinking? No, he's being controlled by sin nature. The circumstance, his perception, his judgment, he's not thinking straight. You, when you're controlled by Christ's wisdom and you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you will have, remember some of the fruits of the Spirit that would apply here? Patience, endurance, humility, gentleness, rational thought and speech. And you are going to not live in the moment. You're going to take the long look. That's an expression I learned from a pastor who's been with the Lord for decades now. But it's a great, great expression. Take the long look. What's the end? Where would this lead? Take the long look. We have another way of saying that. Look at the big, what? The big picture. Don't focus on immediately feeling good. Or I'm just going to escape the situation. Then your focus is where? On myself. When you're being controlled by Christ's wisdom, your focus is on the Lord, and you will, will persevere through this difficult, hard, pressure situation. Passage to write down along this line, 1 Peter 2, verses 18 to 25. I'll be speaking a bit on this afternoon during the Lord's table. 1 Peter 2, Verses 18 to 25, there you have uh, instruction given to Christian slaves. They have uh, bad masters. They need to submit. They need to uh, be reverent. They need to respond like Jesus did. We'll look at that this afternoon. Coming back to the point here. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post for conciliation pacifies great offenses. What, What would people think then? If you just up and left, what would people think? See, that shows he really was guilty. He really was that situation. He really was the the guy. 
A biblical illustration of this is found in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. There, David is being hounded, harried, hunted down by King Saul. David and his men, uh, they don't have a supply train to give them food. And so they would protect landowners, protect landowners' uh, herds and things. And there is this one fellow that they had done that for. His name was Nabal, N-A-B-A-L. And so David sent some of his uh, soldiers down to Nabal and said, we've been protecting you guys. You know, it'd be really great if you could give us some food so we can live and keep protecting you. Support the, the, the soldiers, as it were. And Nabal said, who are you? People are leaving their masters all the time. I'm not going to support you. Get away from here. They reported back to David, and David was ticked. He stopped thinking rationally, and he said, I'm going to let him have it for that. And so he got everybody. He's headed down. He's going to just wipe them all out. That's what David's plan was, just going to wipe them all out. Well, who saved the day? Who saved the day? Nabal's wife, Abigail. Godly woman. And she humbled herself before David. Let the blame be on me. Don't do this. And several times, several times, Abigail said something along the lines of, the Lord must hold you back from coming to bloodshed and avenging yourself with your own hand. Don't do this, lest there be a grief to you or an offense that you would shed blood without cause, that you would take vengeance in your own hands. David's response to that is he blessed the Lord God of Israel. Blessed is your advice. Blessed are you. You have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. One other time before this, David had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he didn't do it. He said, I will not take vengeance. That is not my place. And then what happened right here? He was about to do that very thing. Lost is cool. But Abigail, as an illustration of Ecclesiastes 10.4, she kept her cool, was wise, controlled by God's wisdom. What's God's wisdom? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Leave it in the Lord's hands, David. And so David did that, and now you all want to know what happened, right? If you don't know the story, what happened to Nabal? He heard this news, and he just fell back dead. What about poor Abigail? She became one of David's wives. And that's a story for another time, okay? But coming back to Ecclesiastes 10.4, Christ's wisdom is extremely effective. Some other passages along the line I forgot to give you on this third point here that it helps you persevere under pressure. Proverbs 15.1. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 16, 14. 16, 14. As messengers of death is the king's wrath, a wise man will appease it. Proverbs 25, 15. 
By long forbearance, a ruler's persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. So somebody's mad. They're ticked off. However their relation might be to you. Should you give as you've been receiving? Keep your cool. Trust the Lord. Be controlled by the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are patience, love, Kindness, gentleness, self-control. Christ's wisdom is better than power and volume. It directs your heart and your lifestyle. It helps you to persevere under pressure. But there are threats, sadly, number two, to wisdom in our lives. And that's because we live in a sin-cursed world. So let's go to, back to chapter, 19, uh, chapter 9, verse 18, and chapter 10, verse 1. Remember, chapter and verse divisions are fairly recent, last 500 years or so. I like that fairly recent, the last 500. Yeah, back 500 years ago. Verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies putrefy the pure perfumer's or Dead flies putrefy. This is like Peter Piper picked up. <laughs> Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Sorry about that. Um, tongue, my, my lips were tied there. Because we live in a sinful world, sin and foolish choices affect wisdom in your life. Let's look at these two. Verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Here's the point. One sinner destroys much good. Sin demolishes Wisdom's work. It demolishes, it destroys much good. How many people does it take to cause a lot of trouble? One. All it takes one person to cause a lot of trouble. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, speaking to the Corinthians, you got a whole lot of leaven. Whole, you got this big lump. And how much leaven does it take to to contaminate and to infiltrate and to infect that whole lump? Just a little bit of leaven, just a little bit. We have a statement. One bad apple, what's that do? It makes everything go bad, doesn't it? Scriptural example, Joshua 7. Joshua 7. Israel had tremendous victory over Jericho, marching around the... Uh, Jericho city, seven times the walls fell down. They completely decimated. Then they go to attack a, a nearby city. Joshua said, we don't need that many people. They go and attack and they're beat back. Why? One guy, Achan. One guy, Achan, when attacking Jericho, disobeyed God's command and took some of the gold and this other stuff. And he wasn't supposed to do that. And one man negatively affected the entire nation. Christian, this is something that should be really sobering. Your sin, your sin can demolish the good work that you are doing in your marriage, in your home, in your church, beware of sin. 
verse 1 of chapter 10. When we have these dead flies and this ointment or perfume. This shows us a second thing. Foolish choices smear a man's character. They smear a wise man's character. So does, the end of verse 1, so does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. He uses a, a comparison. He's got this precious ointment, this perfume, and then there's some dead flies in it. And it's a, it's a good picture. Now, I don't use perfume, and so let's pretend that we all do. I know you don't, but let's just pretend. You've got this uh, cup or this goblet or this container. It's really expensive. And I'm always amazed at that. You know, you, you, you see the price of perfume or cologne, and uh, you look it up and say, how much that can a little bottle cost? I mean, five bucks, right? Like, $85. Like, no, nope, not going there. Not going to do that. Really expensive. And you've got this thing, and you're going to go and put some and, and uh, use it for you because back then they didn't have Irish Spring soap. Uh, they didn't have running water to take a shower and things like this. So they would use that to help them smell better. Um, kind of like uh, old-time deodorant, as it were. But really expensive stuff. And you're coming closer, you lift the lid off, and, oh, man, ugh, what's happened? And there's some dead flies in there. That's okay. I paid a lot of money. I'm going to use it anyway. That's what you're all going to say, right? Nope. No way. You're not going to do that. They turned it rancid. And nasty made it the exact opposite of what that perfume was supposed to do. What's there more of? Perfume or flies? Dead flies. There's more perfume, but it only took a couple dead flies to make it all rancid and nasty and gross and despicable. In like manner, Solomon says here, it just takes... It just takes a little foolishness, a little foolishness to overpower and outweigh the wives. You can have the best and greatest wisdom. You can know all kinds of things and know how it applies. How much does it take to throw it all away, to make it a shambles, to make it worthless? Just a little bit. I'm going to show my age here. There's an expression that came to mind about this just a little bit. It's from the 1950s. And I was born in 1969, so this is not me, but I heard it growing up. Back in the 1940s and 50s, uh, men would not just let their hair be like mine. Okay? They would slick it back. And they would use a special kind of ointment, <laughs> cream, to, to slick it back. Brill cream, you may have heard of. They had an advertising slogan. A little dab will do ya. And that was in a positive way. And I don't know about you guys, I can't imagine slicking my hair back right now, but maybe some of you who were alive back then could tell me about that. In the opposite way, how much sin, how much foolishness does it take to ruin, to throw your life away, as it were? A little dab will do it, won't it? Remember that from chapter 10 and verse 1. 
Some biblical examples. I think of Hezekiah. Boy, what a godly king. Stood up against Nebuchadnezzar, trusted the Lord, saw his life saved, and then what did he do at the end? Hey, King Babylon, let me show you all this. And he took pride in what the Lord had given him. Forever coloring his testimony. How long does it take to build up character? A lifetime. How long does it take to lose it? One bad decision. One moment. A second threat to wisdom's effectiveness. Number two, anti-wisdom. And you might say, why do you call it folly? Well, how often have I been using folly? How often does Solomon use folly here a lot? A lot. And we hear folly and we just think folly, 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 folly. And we kind of start skipping and it's just folly. And we need to remember, what is it? It's the opposite of wisdom and thus anti-wisdom is just a teaching thing. I'm helping you to see it from a different angle. Verses two and three. End of verse two. A fool's heart is at his left When a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom and he shows everyone that he's a fool. Anti-wisdom deceives your heart and disgraces your life. Anti-wisdom or foolishness, unbelief, deceives your heart and disgraces your life. When When you're controlled by your sin nature and this world, that's how you be a fool, okay? That affects your heart. That means what you think, what you love, your affections, what you desire, and how you make decisions. Those are going to be corrupted. Your lifestyle is going to be twisted and perverted. And here's Solomon's point, especially in verse 3. Everyone will know it. Everyone will know it. You're controlled by unbelief, anti-wisdom. And because you're controlled by unbelief, you are going to think that the left is right. You're going to think that what's wrong is correct. You're going to think that sin is righteousness. And Christians will know exactly, they will know exactly what you're like. They'll know exactly the direction you're going. But you're convinced that I'm going the right way when in reality it's the wrong way. You're convinced that you're doing right and every Christian knows they're throwing their life away. They're going away from the Lord. It can't be hid. You think you're hiding it. You think you're tricking everyone by throwing up some kind of fake picture. But everybody knows. Every Christian knows. They can see through it. The second thing, anti-wisdom results in bad decisions. Anti-foolishness results in bad decisions. Another circumstance Solomon saw, verses 5 to 7. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, an error proceeding from a ruler. Folly set in great dignity, while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses, while princes walk on the ground like servants. When you're controlled by Christ's wisdom, you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, what are the fruits? You're self-controlled. You've got a disciplined mind. You're thinking like Christ. You're making right decisions. But when you're not, you make bad decisions. 
you'll make bad decisions. You'll do a knee-jerk reaction. You'll make a bonehead choice. A thoughtless decision. Or you'll be looking at a situation and because you don't have the mind of Christ, because you're not putting him first, you're putting yourself first, you are going to wrongly read the situation and you're going to make a wrong decision. And what's the result of that? What's the result of bad decisions? Bad effects? Bad consequences? That's what Solomon saw here. This king made a grievous error. It proceeded from him. And as a result, he saw the world turned upside down from the way it should be. Verses 6 and 7. Horses in that time were ridden by the nobility and warriors. And slaves walked. But because of the foolish decision of one in authority, the opposite was happening. Completely turned upside down. When foolishness reigns, worldliness reigns, not Christ-likeness. And that brings chaos. Error is elevated over truth. Wickedness over righteousness. Folly over wisdom. And that negatively affects those underneath that rule. They're the ones that got to live with this kind of situation. Boy, have you ever seen this happen in a church where a pastor or leadership is not controlled by Christ's wisdom and they make decisions and you're seeing this is upside down? Have you ever seen this happen in marriages and families where the head of the home, the husband, the father, he's not thinking like he should He's not putting Christ first. Everything is topsy-turvy. He's putting priorities on this instead of this. He's making decisions to go this way instead of this way. And he completely messes things up. We see this in society. We see this in government. This should help us understand why things happen the way they do. Beware of these threats of wisdom's effectiveness. Summarizing all this, going back to the beginning from verse 17 down through chapter 10, verse 7. Remember verse 17. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Discipline yourself to listen to quiet, wise words. You must make this choice. They're not ear tickling. They're probably not the best speaker. And they don't have all the greatest accoutrements and sound and all the flashy stuff. And it's not going to appeal to you. And it might not make you, quote unquote, feel good. But it is the right thing you need to hear. Quiet, wise words are never flashy. Focus on what is being said. On content. Not how it pleases you or tickles your eye. 
the beginning of verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Depend on Christ's wisdom, not worldly power. Don't think that just throwing money at a problem will make it work. Now there's a government solution, huh? Depend on Christ's wisdom. Thinking about how at the end of verse 18, one sinner destroys much good and the dead flies in the little folly of chapter 10, verse 1, how sin quickly affects you. Remember what the Puritan said? Kill sin. It's going to kill you. So let's get the fly swatter out. Chapter 10, verse 1. Be killing sin. Get your Don't go too far with this, but don't let sin have a foothold in your life. Get rid of it. The end of verse 18, chapter 9. One sinner destroys much good. Don't be that one person who messes things up in your marriage, your family, your home, your church, your work. Those dead flies again. What happens... If you get in the garbage can looking for things, start digging around in it. How are you going to smell? You're going to stink, aren't you? Don't don't go in the garbage can. Go where there's life, purity. Prize wisdom. Reject folly. And just as an application for verses 5 to 7, this whole rulers making bad decisions, affecting others, if you're in a position of authority and leadership, you must be controlled by Christ's wisdom. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lose your cool or your temper. Don't be blown around here and there by the circumstances. And when you do, you're going to make big mistakes and those big mistakes are going to affect other people. It's going to exalt sin. It's going to lift up unbelief. It's going to put down the things of the Lord. It's going to turn God's order for your marriage, your home, your church, topsy-turvy and upside down. But what's the good news? When you have Christ's wisdom, what does it do to the order in your marriage, in your home, in your church? And yes, in society, it turns things right side up and the way that they should go. Put on Christ's wisdom. Heed it and beware of sin.